0: That's right, church, that's what we're going for, $250,000 in two weeks on November 20th. It's really fun to hear from Kosia, and it plays perfectly into what we're trying to do here this morning. As we look to November 20th, we're going to try to do something that might seem a little bit impossible, okay? We're going to try to be in two places at once. Huh? Can we do that? What I mean is we're going to be here, like you're here right now, you're engaged in worship. I hope you're listening to the sermon. I guess you don't have to. But we're also going to ask that you're prayerfully looking to the future. You're also going to be prayerfully looking to November 20th, which is the day of our outreach contribution, whenever we give this money that's going to help partner with ministries and organizations that are doing incredible work here in the city, here in our country and around the world. Folks, what what they're doing and what they're accomplishing is incredible. It's enough that like sometimes the hairs on my arms kind of stand up when I hear stories like Koshia's. Like, it's exciting that we get a chance to partner with what God's already doing through these people here and around the world. But while what they're doing is really exciting, we think that for our purposes, there's also something behind the what, that we think there's a why that's motivating the what. And for the next few weeks, we want to remind ourselves of that why. Like, why do we care about outreach? Why do we care about a special contribution? Why do we look for ways to get outside of ourselves, to get outside of our walls? And this morning I wanna offer one reason for why. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter five, we're gonna start in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We we're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we need just a really honest moment real quick. How many of you, have you ever had one of those days where you just want everything to be about you? Surely not, right? I've never had any of those days. I totally have. Like, I want to eat here, I wanna go there, I wanna go and do these things, I want to be with these people, I don't wanna be with these people. I kinda take some days to be a beauty queen, right? Essentially, what I'm doing. What's funny to think about is that for thousands of years, this is essentially the way that everyone on Earth operated. What I mean is that for thousands of years, the accepted model for the universe's movement was something called the geocentric model. It was the idea that the universe revolves around the Earth. And it wasn't until about 500 years ago when a guy came along named Copernicus. And he gave us a new model, and it's the model that you likely used if you ever made a science fair project about the planets, right? Using hangers and styrofoam balls. You used Copernicus's model, the heliocentric model. The idea that the universe doesn't revolve around the earth, the universe revolves around the sun. What does this have to do with 2 Corinthians 5? I'm glad you asked. I think we hear a really similar sentiment in the passage we just read. Isn't it a cool passage? Like, there's so much there we could just spend hours talking about. Don't worry, I'm not going to this morning. But one of the things that we notice is is Paul's special relationship with these people in Corinth. Like, he had a pretty tumultuous relationship with these people. But when he has the chance to communicate something with them that is most important, this is what he reminds them of. And it's all about this phrase, new creation." The idea that you've been given a new story. You've been brought out of the old and into the new. But I don't know if you notice something that he emphasizes. Maybe you'll notice it here with this, with this chart. Notice what Paul emphasizes over and over again. Starting in verse 18. All this is from God. Verse 19. God was reconciling the world. God has committed to us. Verse 20. God making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. And verse 21. God made him. This might be our story, but it's not one that we created. It's not one that we initiated. It's not one that we wrote for ourselves. It's not even about us. It's all about God, right? From the very beginning to the very end, it's all God. And whether Paul knew it or not, he's pointing us to a reality that in many ways, we live in a geocentric world. You could call it a a meocentric world. The idea that we live in a world that revolves around me. It's all about me. It's all about my perspective. It's all about my beliefs. But here with this narrative, Paul calls us to a new story, a story that moves us away from me-centricity to God-centricity. We become a part of a new story, God's story. And God's story doesn't revolve around me my story revolves around him. Man, if I, if I think about a moment in my life where that maybe made the most sense, I think about my baptism. Um, my dad was the one to baptize me. And uh, I gotta tell you, I remember that event with like such detail, such traumatic detail Because my dad operated under the belief, that all of us do, that baptism is a a time when we move from an old life to a new life. It's a reflection of Jesus' death and resurrection. And my dad really likes to emphasize the death part. Maybe you see where this is going. So we get in the water, and my dad lowers me into the water, and he holds me there. (laughs) And holds me there. And keeps holding me there until everyone in the room starts to kind of like look around and is kind of squeamish sitting in their chairs. And that's whenever he raises me back up and I'm gasping and it wasn't that bad. (laughs) But I think of that moment, not just because it was like traumatic in my life, but also because it reminds us that the baptism communicates reliance and abandonment and dependence you were likely never more passive than you are in the moment of baptism because you literally can't do it yourself. You are lowered beneath the water and raised back up all under the power and discretion of someone else. And so for little Brent, he learned quite clearly in that moment, I'm not the one in charge. And I was swept up into a new story, one that didn't revolve around me, but revolved around God it became a part of a new story. One that wrapped me up. That's what Paul was trying to remind his friends in Corinth. I think that's what he's trying to remind you. That you've become a part of a new story. One that's that's driven by God's love. It's all about God. It's driven by, Paul says, Christ's love. And that's where he turns next. Paul gives us three ways that Christ's love now drives our new story. But first, I have a question for you. Um, If I were to get on your Netflix account, how many of you have binge watched TV shows? Anybody? Surely not. Okay, thank you for being honest. That's great. Uh, How many of you maybe have a book or a book series that you especially love that you grew up reading? Yeah, or maybe a movie that you can always curl up on the couch with and really enjoy and get engrossed with. Yeah, maybe this is another question I can ask. How many of you in the room are Harry Potter fans? Woo, let's go. Okay, let me be a little bit of a snob here, though. I'm not talking about movies. I'm talking about the books, right? The real stories, I'm talking about all seven novels from the very beginning, standing in line, waiting for each one to be released, reading them over and over again until they kind of begin to creep into reality a little bit. Like, that was me. I hope. Yeah. That was me. Uh, That was me. Um, That was only a few years ago. Still trying to get over my obsession. But man, I grew up with those characters. I grew up with Harry and Hermione and Ron, and I was so attracted to and compelled by and engaged by their story that it became my own story. I don't know, maybe, maybe it wasn't Harry Potter for you, but you've had this happen, right? You've become so wrapped up in a story that it becomes your own. And what happens? You begin to feel what the main characters feel, don't you? Isn't it crazy? Like you begin to love what they love and you begin to hate what they hate. You care about what they care about. You strive for what they strive for. I think that's what happens whenever our story begins to revolve around God's story. I think Paul did too. Because Paul says that Christ's love compels us. He says that Christ's love compels us as we become a part of the story as new creation. We begin to see that there's something undeniably attractive and incredibly engaging about this new story. And he says that it's Christ's love, that Christ's love beckons us, it compels us, it wraps us up in this new story. And we begin to feel what the main character feels. We begin to feel what God feels. We begin to love what he loves and hate what he hates and care about what he cares about and strive for what he strives for because Christ's love compels us, inviting us to become part of and to take part in his story. But there's something interesting that happens whenever we are so compelled by Christ's love. And Paul points to it later on in verse 16. He says that because of all this, we now regard no one from a worldly point of view. That's pretty interesting, especially considering who's writing this, who we said is writing this. Paul, right? What do we know about the story of Paul? We know that his name was once Saul, yeah? What do we know about Saul? He was hateful. He was one of those, like, strictly by the letter guys. He was also one of those guys that was probably going to climb the ladder no matter who he stepped on. Saul made a habit of hunting down and killing people who thought differently than he did. And yet this is the guy that just said he doesn't look at people in the same way anymore. He doesn't look at people from a worldly point of view. How does that happen? Like, how does that switch occur? Don't get me wrong, like it's a wonderful switch. I'm really glad that it happened. We wouldn't have half of our New Testament if it didn't. I love to imagine a world where a lot more Pauls are running around. I love to imagine a time in my own life where I'll stop looking at people from a worldly point of view. I'll look at people differently. Because in that world, man, I don't judge as much, I don't avoid people who are different than me as much. I think my friend group would probably look a little bit differently if I didn't look at people from a worldly point of view but it's naive, right? Sure is wonderful to imagine such a world. Like can't you imagine that? I think in a world where people aren't looked at from a worldly point of view, success looks very different and failure looks very different. I think in that world Orlando doesn't happen. Dallas doesn't happen. Baltimore and Baton Rouge and Falcon Heights, none of those happen. School bullying doesn't happen. Cyberbullying doesn't happen. People don't walk into church buildings and turn right back around because they don't match up. That's the world that Paul imagines. A world where we don't look at people from a worldly point of view. Because we've been brought into this story. And Christ's love not only compels us, but Christ's love controls us. Allowing us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. Which for Paul meant that he could write letters to people who thought very differently than he did. He could eat meals with people who grew up very differently than he did. And he could tell everyone he came into contact with, regardless of their race, regardless of their culture, or their belief system, or their socioeconomic status. He could tell everyone he came into contact with about the love of Christ because he was controlled by the love of Christ. And for a second, man, I just just think and I dream, what would it look like if we were not only compelled by Christ's love, but we were controlled by it? What would that look like? And that leads to the third way that Christ's love is now driving this new story that we're a part of. It makes me think of um, one of my dream jobs. So for me, like right up there behind Being a a roller coaster tester and being um, like a rock star. Right behind that is to be an ambassador. Have you ever thought about being an ambassador? I would love to be a lady named Susan Levine because she's the US ambassador to Switzerland. And that would be a sweet gig. You got the Swiss Alps, you got Swiss chocolate, you got Swiss knives. Oh my goodness, Christmas would be so easy. Like, I'm stressing about what to get people for Christmas. Susan just says, hey, you want chocolate or do you want a knife? Her days are just filled, I'm sure, with hiking and skiing and skydiving. You're laughing because you know there's something more to that, right? There's something more to her job. Because even in a country like Switzerland, that's pretty peaceful. Susan has a really important job of maintaining relations with Swiss officials, right? And besides that, I think you know the reality of being an ambassador. Susan didn't choose her ambassadorship. She simply went to wherever the one whom she represents sent her. That's the terms of being an ambassador. And did you notice what Paul calls us? He says, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation, and because of that, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. He says, we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ. Because when our world revolves around God's, Christ's love not only compels us, it not only controls us, but it commissions us. It sends us out, it sends us out as ambassadors, as representatives, God making his appeal through us. And it's not about what's in it for us, it's not about what we get to do, it's not about where we get to go, it's all about who we get to represent, because Christ's love commissions us, and it sends us out as representatives of reconciliation. Which means a good question to ask might be, where have you been sent? Like, Where are you an ambassador Is it to your cubicle or to your office suite? Maybe it's to your classroom or maybe it's to your neighborhood or to your home. But what would it look like if all of us lived like we were sent? Like we were ambassadors, like we were sent to this city, to this county, to this country all as citizens of another kingdom, as representatives, as ambassadors, all because we've been brought into this news story, a story that doesn't revolve around us, that isn't written by us, but compels us, that draws us in, that makes us feel what God feels, lets us do things we wouldn't otherwise do, and sends us out as ambassadors. What would happen? That brings us full circle. We're right back where we started. Because I think, in my opinion, this is why we're in the business of reconciliation. This is why we invest in outreach opportunities. This is why we give money to an outreach contribution. It's because we've been given a new story and we want to be in the business of creating new stories. We've become a part of God's story and so we give because we think that each group we support is in the business of providing new stories. And man, we want in, like we want a stake in the game. We want to help support people like HopeWorks because the new story business is really booming. (laughs) I don't know if you've heard of HopeWorks before. They've been around for a while. They've been in Memphis for 28 years, Holistically investing in the lives of the poor in Memphis. And one of the ways that they try and do that is through their keynote program called PCD, Personal Career Development. What that means is they partner with the chronically unemployed in the city of Memphis, and they provide them job training for 13 weeks. In those 13 weeks, they walk alongside of them with counseling, with mentors, with job experiences and internships, and at the end of the 13 weeks, they help find these people jobs, they help them keep their jobs, and they do it all for free. Isn't that cool? Because what that means is that there are now women and men who feel empowered, who feel that they have the ability to go out and seize new opportunities and seize new stories for themselves. The new story business is booming. It's going so well that the state of Tennessee saw what HopeWorks was doing and said, we want a piece of that. In the summer, the state of Tennessee approached HopeWorks and said that we want you to be the choice program in western Tennessee for helping high school dropouts get their equivalency diplomas. The state of Tennessee asked HopeWorks to do that. And since that began in the summertime, there are now 1,300 new students who are on their way to getting a high school diploma. 1,300 new students. In just the last 90 days, there are 200 new students that have a diploma in hand. 200. Do you know what that means? That means that there are 200 more people who didn't have a diploma before but can now proudly walk into a job application and with, a, with a diploma in their hand, and that completely changes the game for them. And there are hundreds more coming in right behind them. Hundreds more people who are now able to seize new opportunities, who are now able to begin writing their own new stories. Folks, the new business story is booming. The new story business is booming. I'll get it out. It's going so well, in fact, that HopeWorks ran out of space. They ran out of room. They had to try to find a new building, and it just so happened to be a new building that opened up. It just so happened to be the right price. It just so happened to be near a couple of neighborhoods that have been asking for HopeWorks help. And so HopeWorks is moving. They have a new building coming up on Summer Avenue. It's going to allow them to invest in a neighborhood, to empower neighborhood leaders to be a good neighbor. It's going to give them the ability to expand their services. They're going to be able to offer something for their graduates, for their students on Sunday mornings, a way for them to be in community. It's going to allow them to expand their influence, expand their services, all because they want to find new ways to come alongside of people and help them write new stories. That's what it's really about. It's about helping people write new stories. That's why they do what they do. That's why we do what we do. It's because of people who are looking for new stories. It's for people like Patrick. Man, Patrick's story is so cool. He's a recent graduate of HopeWorks, so he's right in the beginning of, of trying to find this new story, of writing this new story. And rather than me try to tell you his story, I thought it'd be better if you heard it from him. So let's listen to Patrick.
1: It was like I was lost, like I was lost in a dark room with no kind of light to see where, 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 where could I go from my uh, place I was in and where I wanted to be. I heard about whole work through uh, Dears and Charity. I was released from prison, and I was sent out to look to job search every day for 21 days. I had 21 days to find a job. Within that 21 days, I wasn't able. I had no no job, job searching skills at all. I wasn't I just wasn't really really uh, confident for you know, having faith in myself. And so, I went and talked to I think her name was Miss Mya from my son, and I told her I was having trouble finding employment. Uh, she referred me to Hope Works. she said she thinks Hope Work could help me. well I, f- I felt that my chance was, was, was better than when, than when it was before I she uh, referred me to Hope Work. it was more like uh, it was a career I, I had an opportunity to start me a career which I always looking forward to doing.
0: We've had um, three individuals from Hope Works, Um Patrick was our first. Patrick uh, comes in on time. If he's running late because of transportation, he always gives me a courtesy call, which means a lot to me. Um, That's, you know, respect both ways. Um, Patrick comes in, he does his job. He does whatever you ask him to do. Um, Always got a smile on his face, good positive attitude. Um, I I can't ask for any more than that.
1: It made me feel great. Gave gave me a whole lot of confidence. And uh, at the same time, it it, it gave me, it gave me the uh, strength to be able, to, strength and the confidence to be able to say that what I learned at homework was pretty much what I needed to uh, succeed with my career and in life. I want to I want to be able to uh, continue my career. Be able to do, do do some other things outside of my career. Maybe be able to help people the way help, Hope Work helped me. And maybe do some volunteer work. Things like that. Maybe help help people the way I was helped. I'm Patrick Taylor and I believe Hope Works.
0: That's pretty awesome. Well, that was Patrick a couple of months ago. This is Patrick just a few days ago, standing in front of his new car. Let's go. Man, it's so exciting to see new stories being written, right? Don't you want in? Don't you want to buy a steak? Let's go. That's why your homework in the next few weeks is going to be to, be, to, to pray and to plan, and to prepare for November 20th, when we challenge each other to give $250,000 to our outreach contribution, to people like Patrick, to organizations like HopeWorks, to so many more. And why do we do it? That's where we started today, because we've been given a new story, and we want to stake in the business of new stories. That's why we give. I want to invite you also, as you're praying and planning and preparing to give on November 20th, man, praise God. Praise God for the stories that he's already writing, the stories that he's written in your life. I know there are so many in this room. Praise God for the stories that have already come and the stories that we know are coming in the future. That's why we're buying in. That's why we're partnering. Let's keep praising him. Stand and sing.
1: Once I was lost, wandering in darkness,
0: no life inside, no hope.